Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. This is only an eight pound trap. Now the bear traps that are kind of like this, they can have pressures of up to like 400 pounds. Now the website where you buy the bear traps, they say it won't take your leg off, but I don't know if I want to trust that or not. This one though, if I'm not careful setting it, I could probably lose a finger. Let me see if I can get this. I gotta be careful. I get a little nervous right there. You know, as dangerous as this trap is, my daughter was watching me practice that last night. She said, Dad, what are you doing? We have cats. And I'm like, I know. (laughs) As dangerous as these traps are, the traps of sin are even more dangerous. And there are two traps we're going to look at today that everybody gets caught in at one time or another. We're going to study the scriptures and what Jesus says on how to avoid two sin traps. How to avoid it, and if you ever get caught in it, how to escape. Let's pray. God, I just ask that you would allow your Holy Spirit just take the words of Scripture today and just transform our souls from the inside out. I ask that you would open our our minds and our hearts to hear and obey. Lord, I ask that you would allow us to be transformed in such a way that we can avoid this trap of sin that ruins our compassion for one another, that that hurts our ability to forgive one another, Lord, and endangers our souls. We praise you and thank you that Jesus paid it all so that we can walk free. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Jacob started this sermon series last week, Scars, I said, Jacob, I thought it was a powerful sermon, but I couldn't hear you over your shoes. They were so loud. You might remember. And he started talking about how scars tell a story. And the greatest scars that tell the biggest stories are the ones that are hidden on the inside of us that nobody sees. And each week as we go through the acronym of SCARS, We're going to break down different phrases that Jesus says, different stories that he tells, and different ways that he offers forgiveness so that we can step out of traps and also walk in the freedom that only the forgiveness of Jesus gives. Today, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We're going to see a story where Jesus not only avoids a trap set for him, but also teaches us how to avoid two sin traps. 
the trap of self-righteousness and the trap of self-condemnation. Now, if you have a Bible like mine, you'll notice that in John chapter 8, it's set apart either in brackets or italics. And the reason why John chapter 8, this first couple of verses, verses 1 through 11 of John chapter 8, are set apart in our Bibles in brackets or italics is in the earliest manuscripts from archaeology that they, the scholars have found, this passage is not found there. So Bible scholars, most Bible scholars believe that this is a true account of Jesus, and it belongs in the inspired Scripture. Just a lot of them believe it doesn't belong here in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Somewhere along the way, as they were writing down the Scripture for us to remember, and we have evidence from as early as 100 A.D., that this story was being circulated among the churches as a true and accurate account of Jesus. Somewhere along the way, they said, we have to write, put this in to the written account so that the whole church can hear about Jesus and what he says to us. So long story short, most Bible scholars agree that this is an accurate story of Jesus that the church was passing along so that we would all know this account but a lot of scholars think that it doesn't necessarily belong here in John chapter 8. They're not really sure where it goes, but they know it should have been recorded. And in this story, the Pharisees and the scribes, the teachers of the law, they set a trap for Jesus. And he, he navigates it as only the Son of God can. But it also reveals two sin traps that we might be in danger of falling into. Let me read this passage. Beginning in verse 2 of chapter 8, all the way through 11. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now, if you think about this for just a second, catching someone in the act of adultery usually requires catching two people. There's no man in this account. So somehow they caught this woman and grabbed her and let the man go free. Almost like it was a setup from the beginning. Almost like they had planned it. Another thing we need to notice is to catch somebody in the act of adultery, that's kind of a private sin. It's very difficult to catch somebody in that act, especially in the way that action works. And in the law of Moses... It had to be beyond the shadow of a doubt, two witnesses seeing this to be able to corroborate and say this is what was actually going on. It can't be just catching someone in bed. It can't be just catching somebody leaving the room together. It has to be catching them in beyond uncertain terms. Action was taking place. I think Jesus knew it was a setup from the beginning. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger like he didn't even hear them. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, 
Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she says. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and sin no more. This is an incredible story that illustrates exactly how Jesus treats us and the scars that sin make in our own life. Exactly how he treats us as we battle traps of sin. Two traps that I specifically want to look at in this passage that he's going to help us avoid and get out of. Number one is the trap, the sin trap of self-righteousness. And the second one is the sin trap of self-condemnation. The first, self-righteousness sin trap. This is also known as the finger-pointing trap. It's where we go around and we clearly, so clearly, see the sins of others, but are blind to the sins of ourselves. You know about the finger point, right? If you point a finger at one person, you have three pointing back at yourself. You've heard that before? This is the trap the Pharisees had fallen into. Here they were bringing this woman before Jesus, and they wanted justice for her sins. They want her to get what she deserves, but yet they want mercy for their own sins. This is a trap we all fall into from one time or another, where we will point our fingers at them and bring them before God in our prayers and say, God, what are you going to do about them? How are you going to punish them? Would you bring about punishment on them? And we're pointing a finger, forgetting that we are in the same boat that we're trying to sink them in. The Scripture says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In fact, there's three words that Scripture uses to describe sin, and it all has to do with God's standard. God's standard is perfection and holiness set apart. And so that first word, sin, it means to miss the mark, to not live up to that standard. A second term the Scripture uses is iniquity. And that means we take God's standard and we take what he says and we twist it into a perverted form of itself. If you've ever lusted after someone in your heart that is not your spouse, you've taken God's standard for sex and and love in a marriage and you've twisted it and perverted it. It's become iniquity. If you've ever hated somebody in your heart and you wished God would take them out, You've taken that, that passion that God has built within us, that standard, and you've twisted it. You've perverted it. If you've ever lived as a Christ follower, receiving the forgiveness of Jesus, but not offering it to someone who has deeply wounded you, you've taken his standard and you've perverted it. Iniquity. 
Jacob mentioned the statistic last week, and it's a statistic that bothers us. It's one of the reasons why we are repeating this sermon series on scars that we found from another church on forgiveness. It's because almost 70% of Christians in America say they have a deeply hurt, a deep hurt given to them by somebody else that they're not willing to forgive. It's a perversion in God's kingdom to live that way. It's iniquity. The third word for sin that God uses is called trespass. And that's where we take God's standard, we hear what he says, and we just go the opposite direction and we rebel completely against what God says. Sin, iniquity, and trespass. It's no wonder that David prays in Psalm 51, after he is caught in sin, he prays, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous. There is no one that has lived up to the mark. There's no one that hasn't twisted God's standard. And there's no one who hasn't rebelled in their life against what God says is the way of truth and the way of righteousness. And any time we get on our high horse and we start thinking we're holy and other people deserve punishment, but we'll take the mercy of Jesus, we fall into this trap that the Pharisees were in. we got to get out of that. If the church is known as one of the most judgmental places in America, we will never have anybody come to the forgiving grace that Jesus offers. If 70% of Christians, 70% of Church of Christ Christian church members in a recent poll, 36 churches, over 1,500 people surveyed, only, only about 30% say they were willingly and actively forgiving people who have deeply hurt them we got to get out of this trap. How do we avoid that trap? We must admit that we are sinners. That we've all done, we've all done sin. We've all missed the mark. We've all twisted it out of proportion, perverted it, or we've rebelled against it. The only way that we're going to live in the freedom that Jesus offers, the only way we're going to receive forgiveness and be able to offer it to other people is to admit that we are in that place. And when we admit that we're there, that's when Jesus releases us from that trap. What does Hebrews say? Throw off the sin that so easily entangles us and traps us by focusing our eyes on Jesus. I think that's what he was going for when he bent down and ignored their question and began to write in the dirt. We will never know what Jesus wrote in the dirt until we get to heaven. But there's lots of people who like to guess what he wrote. Some people guessed that he was writing in the dirt the sins of the people that were standing around him. Can you imagine? You bring somebody and say, look what she did, and he starts writing out your deepest, darkest secrets. 
Some people believe he was writing Scripture. There's a passage of Scripture that says, don't go in with somebody to trap somebody else. Don't be a part of that plan. What I do know, I don't know what he wrote, but what I know is when he bent down to write, all their attention started focusing on him. Jesus is so compassionate. Here's this woman standing in front of everyone. Who knows how much clothing she has on? She was caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus draw all eyes to him. You see his response? And then he says, let any one of you who has not sinned throw the first stone. The only way we're going to walk in freedom is if we admit we've been trapped by sin and we need to be rescued. Who are we when we encounter sin? I know I've told this story before. My daughter was influenced, and still is a little bit, from an adult in our community who worked at the library that was leading my daughter on a path of destruction. And I began to pray the cursing prayers out of Psalms over this woman. There are prayers in the Bible where you call down the curse of heaven, the curse of God, onto those people. And I think there's a time to pray that prayer. But that should not be our first response. Our first response, my first response, should have been to go and meet this woman, befriend her, and show her Jesus. Show her the love of Christ. So that my daughter would see a proper way to respond to people who are sinning. And so this woman would have an opportunity to get out of the trap she was in. A cycle of despair and sin that's just going to lead to her own destruction. But what did I act like? I was the Pharisee. Who are you when you encounter sin? Do you respond like the Pharisees and scribes, trapped in your own sin of self-righteousness, or do you respond like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? If you have been given grace by Jesus... Your calling, our calling as a church, is to respond with the grace of Jesus. That's the first trap. Before we go any further, can you just take a moment? Let's just take all take a moment and just ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal in your mind. Is there anyone that has wounded you deeply that you're not willing to forgive? Think in your mind, is it a parent? Is it a spouse? Is it an ex-spouse? Is it a family member? Is it a friend? Just ask God to put that name, that face in your mind. 
of who you're unwilling to forgive, and then fall on His mercy again and ask Him to give you the strength and the power to offer the same forgiveness He's given you. Let's go to God and pray that. Let's pray. Lord, I know as I examine my own heart, I'm convicted. Just like those Pharisees. Convicted in my conscience and I have to walk away from my finger pointing. And I know there's someone here in the room, I just can feel it. That we need to be released from that trap. And the only way we can be released, the only way we can walk in freedom, is if we offer the same forgiveness that you gave us. If we live out the lifestyle that you've called us to, Lord, I know the only way we're going to get freedom is if we admit we're sinners and we want your forgiveness. We want to give it to somebody else too. Lord, would you give us the strength to give over the pain and the hurt and the wounds that we've experienced the people who have scarred us. We give that over to you. We offer and ask for your forgiveness. Once again, for our own sin. And now we ask for forgiveness to be given to the people who have hurt us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Corey Ten Boom, when she came face to face with the guard from her prison camp, when she was stuck in a concentration camp, when she came face to face with him after being released, remembering that her father had died, her sister had died, her family members had died, and she said, I thought I had forgiven him, but when I came face to face with him, it all came back over me. She had to make a decision right there. Was she going to live in the forgiveness Christ gave her or was she going to hold on to that and be stuck in a trap forever? And she forgave. And she said it was a lot like ringing a church bell. You pull the rope and it rings. That's the unforgiveness. And when you let go and you forgive, that bell still rings every once in a while. And she has to go back to it and remind herself that she's forgiven that person over and over again, even though it's still ringing. She's no longer holding on to that. I want that same freedom for you, and God wants that same freedom for you. Get rid of that sin trap. The second trap I know somebody needs to hear it today, is the trap of self-condemnation. Where you're stuck in a sin, or you're stuck in a repeated sinful lifestyle, and you feel like you just can't get out, and you've left that sin before, but it always drags you back in, and you feel like you are never going to find release. If you're stuck in this, I want you to look at how Jesus responds to this woman. I want you to turn your eyes to Jesus. 
I want you to hear his response and let it be a word of encouragement that just changes you from the inside out. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, declares Jesus. Don't get me wrong. Jesus hates sin. But he loves mercy more. And there's something that happens here. If Jesus doesn't condemn her, if Jesus doesn't give her what she deserves, he creates injustice. This is not a place to be. Our God is not an unjust God. It is not just to not get what you deserve. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. But if you don't get what you deserve, it causes injustice. For Jesus not to condemn her, to not give her what she deserves in that moment. And listen, he is the only one, righteous, perfect enough, who can throw that stone to condemn her. He's the only one who can condemn her to death, and yet he doesn't. When he creates that injustice, he knows that he is going to have to pay for it later with his own life. He hates sin. He loves to give mercy more. And when Jesus looks at her, he looks at her with compassion. He desires to give her mercy. So he pays justice with grace. He pays what she deserves by dying in her place on the cross. What's the reason that we have a cross? What's the reason that we worship Jesus Christ? What's the reason that we keep going back to Him? Is because He took our sin in His place. In our place, He became what we deserved. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all twisted God's standard. We've all rebelled against God's standard. And the, des- the justice that we deserve for that is death. And instead of receiving it, Jesus takes it. He pays the debt we owe. And so he can look at that woman with compassion and say, I don't condemn you either. He can offer forgiveness. He can offer mercy. He gives her grace because he pays the debt. And if you're stuck in sin... If you're in a trap that you can't get out of, it keeps dragging you back, pulling you back, making you stumble, making you fall, and you feel guilty, that guilt is real. You have really offended a holy and righteous king of the universe. And Jesus says he'll pay for you to be released. John Owen, a Puritan writer from the 1600s, he says, I mourn in secret under the power of the lusts of my own lusts and sin where no eyes see me, but Jesus sees me. 
and he's full of compassion. Every mistake we make is an opportunity to fall back into the grace of Jesus Christ. Every mistake, every mess up, every sin, we can turn back to our compassionate Lord and Savior who does not want to condemn us, but wants to give us forgiveness. If you're stuck in sin, the only way out is to rely completely on the love and grace of Jesus Christ and what he's paid for you. Jesus lives out the truth of Romans chapter 8, 1 that says, those, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because Jesus doesn't condemn you. He forgives you and he pays the debt that you owe. That releases you from any sin that entangles your life. Any mistake we make, we need to run back to Jesus. Any mistake we make, we don't need to run from church where other sinners who have been forgiven are gathered together worshiping our Savior. We need to return to those gatherings. Any sin, we don't need to run further away from Jesus. We need to run to Him. Because He sees you. He knows everything about you. And He's full of of compassion. I want you to notice the order too. He says, neither do I condemn you to the woman. Now go and sin no more. Jesus doesn't say, get yourself cleaned up. Stop sinning and then I'll forgive you. He says, no, I forgive you right where you are, while we were still sinners, God proved his love for us by sending his son to die in our place. The order is he offers forgiveness and then he gives you a new life to live in his grace, in his power, where you can go and sin no more. That phrase, no more, is found in several other passages of scripture. I love it in Romans chapter 6. Verse 1, I wrote them out. Excuse me, Romans 6, verses 6 and 7. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no more be slaves to sin. It's the same words Jesus uses, go and sin no more. Because anyone who's died from sin has been set free from sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says, And he died for all, that those who live should no more live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Peter, Jesus' best friend, who betrayed Jesus three times in one setting, Jesus offers him forgiveness. He reinstates him in his teacher role, his shepherd role. And Peter doesn't stay in sin. Peter writes this, as a result, they no more live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather 
for the will of God. If you're stuck in sin, you turn to Jesus, he'll give you forgiveness, and then he'll give you the power and the grace, the strength to no more be stuck and to sin no more. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a Connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.